My hope and my prayer is that we will have things today that are very practical, but things also that are encouraging and edifying to all of us. As you can see on the screen, the entitle of our lesson is The Christian's Warfare. Our passage is taken from the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and beginning there in verse 10, where Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You know, the Apostle Paul points out some great realities in the book of Ephesians. What it means to be a child of God. What it means to belong to God. What it means to be adopted into the family of God. And all of those wonderful, wonderful blessings. But he also points out that we have great concerns. This morning, early in my office, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about all the things that we are concerned with in life. And I would say this too. The things that we have concerns about, they have merit. You know, we might be reflecting on things that are happening all around us, maybe in our government. Maybe we're concerned about what the president's going to do or who the next president is going to be. Maybe we see that laws are changing and we're concerned about that. Maybe it's the economy and all the things that hit us hard sometimes, personally in our life. And I'm saying this, they have merit. But that's not the greatest concern that we have in our life. That's not the greatest problem. The greatest concern that we have in our life is the greatest battle that we fight. And that is the battle with the devil. You know, people sometimes today think about all the dangers that happen around us. And I know that there are. There's some terrible things that happen. We need to be more concerned, though, over who the enemy really is. And the enemy is the devil. We're going to talk about these things in great detail in just a few minutes. But let's notice, there is great blessings about being in Jesus Christ, though. When we are baptized for the remission of sins, when we are in Jesus Christ, we have blessings that the world does not have. Great blessings for being in Christ. When we're in Christ, we leave the domain of Satan. And by the way, there's wonderful people in the world that are living in the kingdom of darkness. Now, what's that mean? Are they bad people? No, not at all. In fact, the Bible only describes two different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness, and there's the kingdom of God's dear son. That's the church. So somebody can be in the kingdom of darkness and be a wonderful person. They're just not in Christ. Therefore, they're not in the kingdom of God's dear son. Incidentally, a little side note. Do you remember when Jesus told his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world? He wasn't saying that they are the original light. What he's saying to them is, you are luminaries of the one true light, and that one true light is Jesus. Have you ever considered how important you are to the cause of Christ because you're a Christian? And you are lights, you are luminaries, you are spreading the light of Jesus Christ to those that are in darkness so they can see their way out and come to Christ. Great blessings. 
When we're in Christ, we have a new relationship. Paul tells us that our relationships are different. Our marriages are different. Our families are different. Our employment situations, all of those things are different. So think of it this way in summary. We have all the resources. We have all the power. We have all the principles to live the Christian life. But it's not going to be easy. I've talked to people in my lifetime, so have you. Maybe you've even thought this. It's very common. So if you thought this, don't feel bad. It's very common. But sometimes people think that as I start serving God, that things in my life are going to get easy. Sometimes in our mind we think, you know what? I'm trying to do what's right, but things in my life aren't any better. And sometimes people think, you know what? It's going to get easier, but it doesn't. You know why? Because the devil gets busy when God's people get busy. Even the power that's there, the principles are there, but we have something else. We've got the enemy, and that is the devil. So, the Christian life is described as warfare. Notice what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8. I love this. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Notice what Paul said. I love this. He said this, I have fought the good fight. What's the good fight? It is the good fight of faith. Have you ever thought about it this way? That the fight of faith is always good. It's always good. Even if it's difficult. What did Paul say? Paul said also that I fight not as one who beats the air. That's kind of somebody that is shadow boxing, right? And they're beating the air. He said, that's not what I do. I don't swing my fist in a spiritual perspective to, without a target. He said to Timothy, be a soldier who endures hardness. Repeatedly in scripture, the Christian life is seen as warfare. And the more effective that you become, the harder Satan works. I don't have time to go into this very deeply. I want to give you one example. Because Jesus said that, and it's very encouraging when we've noticed that Jesus said it first. So we don't get discouraged. When God's people get busy, so does the devil. So does the devil. Jesus said, it's like a man that goes out and he prepares the field. He does everything right. And he sows the good seed in the field. And then he goes home and the Bible says that he slept. And you know, it's kind of like the sleep that Solomon described as the sleep that is sweet. That is the sleep of the working man. Feels good when you worked hard all day and then you go home and go to sleep. He slept. But while he slept, an enemy came into the field and he planted also the tares or the noxious weed seeds among that which is good. Down the road, when the blade sprung up, the servant said to the master, I know that you have sowed, as I paraphrase, the good seed, but why are there tares? And the man said, an enemy did it. One gospel account says the enemy is the devil. Where's the lesson in that? The lesson is this. The devil always works in fields that are not his. 
His idea is opposition by imitation, and he will do everything that he can to stand in our way. That's the devil. We need to understand that and be encouraged by that and not be discouraged. Sometimes we want things to be easier, but look what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 16 and 8. He said this, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? He said, there's an effective door open to me. Got an opportunity to preach the gospel. And then this, and there are many adversaries. You know what Paul was saying back then? He was saying, I've got to stay where the war is the, is the hottest. Because the Bible does describe us as sons, as servants, but we are also soldiers. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, they are spiritual. We are dealing with high things. Now, there's a battle going on, as we know, for our soul. And you know this, you know this. He's coming after our kids hard. The battle is for our soul. The devil wants us to be lost. The Lord wants us to be saved. So there's a great war, a great battle going on. Understand that's the way that it is and don't be discouraged. That's the way that it is. But to defeat the devil, we've got to do three things. Three things. From Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, there's three things. If we want to defeat the devil and not have him have an influence in our life. Number one, we've got to prepare. Number two, we have to put on the armor of God. And number three, we have to recognize and resist the enemy. And that's the devil. That's the three points of our sermon. We'll deal with them now. Number one, let's talk about preparation. You don't want to go to the battle unprepared. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Preparation comes first. In a general principle in living the Christian life, we have to depend on the strength of God. And I'm just going to say this. When the Bible says be strong in the Lord, he's talking about people that are in Christ in the Lord. And he's telling them this be strong in the Lord and secondarily in the power of his might. Do you see the language up there? Is it jumping off the screen at you? It's not your strength, it's his. Now I'm gonna tell you something. When the Bible commands us to do something, make no mistake about it, it automatically erases the impossibility of it happening. Sometimes people say, I just can't. Yeah, you can. Maybe you're trying to do it on your own. Maybe you're trying to do it with your own strength. Maybe that's the problem. That's not what Paul said, though. It's not your strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, it is only in Christ that, one become, that we have his might. When we are in Christ, we are one with him. His power, therefore, becomes our power. His life is our life. And to be strong in the power of his might, notice what that means. Understand that no matter how strong our enemy is, the Lord's strength is superior. 
You know, one of the things that we realized last Sunday, when I talked about being poor in spirit, that doesn't mean that you put yourself down, but that means this. You have to come to the realization, I am absolutely nothing in my own strength. I'm nothing without the Lord. Nothing. All the strength is his. But regardless of the enemy, and that's the devil, regardless of how strong that he is, it doesn't matter. The Lord's strength is superior. But there's even more. I got this quote. I wanted to share it with you. Here it is. This is from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than who's in the world. Because of that, this quote. God is so infinitely greater... That the smallest amount of divine power can overcome the greatest amount of the power of hell and the enemy. And so the strength is ours in the Lord. And by the way, that's why Paul said, and that's what he meant in Philippians 4.13. This doesn't mean I'm going to have the strength to run in a track meet and win the track meet. It's not what that means. Philippians 4.13 is talking about spiritual things, having the strength of the Lord. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody might say, well, I just can't. Yeah, you can. But the strength is in the Lord. You know, at the cross, Jesus gave a death blow to Satan. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. The Bible says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared in the same. That through the death, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So when Jesus, when Paul said in Ephesians 6 and 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, we enter that same victory with Jesus Christ when Jesus whipped the devil at the cross. Jesus defeated the devil. Okay, notice the following. Okay? If Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, and we know that he did, and if we are in Christ, we share in that victory. We defeated Satan at the same cross. Now stay with me on this. If Jesus Christ defeated Satan at the cross and we are in Christ, therefore sharing in that victory, then we have defeated Satan at the same cross. And as Satan now is subject to Christ, so is Satan subject to us. Now let me explain what that means. He is subject to us, meaning you are the one that's in control. I'm going to tell you, the devil can't do one thing to you that you will not allow. The devil can't do something to you. He can't possess you demonically. He was defeated at the cross. He is bound by the word. The devil can't do anything to you that you don't allow. Why? Because Jesus destroyed him at the cross. He whipped him at the cross. In fact, he is, as one man said, a vanquished foe. You know, if you look up synonyms for vanquished, it's words kind of like trounced. You know, there's a difference between losing a ball game and being trounced in a ball game. 
If you're trounced, you got blown out. In other words, there was absolutely no, uh, there was, there was no uh, confusion here. He was demolished. Satan was demolished in his power at the cross. So, how is Satan subject to us? This is how. James 4 and 7, submit yourself therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You're in control. You have that power. The devil has no power over you that you don't allow. He cannot lay claim on the faithful child of God. Let me notice with you three different passages now. In Romans chapter 8, some very encouraging things. And this is all, by the way, as we are preparing ourselves for this battle that I mentioned. In Romans 8 and 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? One more, verses 37 to 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The point is we're at war but you don't have to lose. You don't have to lose. There's no reason to be afraid. Now, think about this if you would. You know how we have always said, you know, we've read the book of Revelation. And we read what happens in the end, right? And we win. How many times have we said that we win? Yeah, I've read the end. We're going through hard times now. But you know what I read at the end? I read the end. Saw the end of the book. We win. If that's the war and we can win. It also means we don't have to lose the battles along the way. We don't. We don't. And the battles are during our life. But you got to do two things. Here are two conditions. Number one, you have to draw your strength from the Lord. And number two, you have to put the armor of God on. So, we've got the power, but there are conditions. One, that his strength is in the Lord, not himself. And two, that he fulfills the conditions of the armor. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Very important. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do you know who the most vulnerable people are? Who are the most vulnerable people to falling? The most vulnerable, peop vulnerable people to fall are the people that don't think that there's any chance that they will. Because guess what? What if you had an attitude? I, I got it figured out. I got it all dialed in. I would never do that. I got this. I'm, I'm, I'm better than that. You just fell. You just fell in a different way, but you just fell. What did Paul say? Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We can be very vulnerable and not even know it. 
Somebody might think, I got all the information. I've even memorized the book of Ephesians. I got it. But on the other hand, when you depend on God, there's nothing that Satan can do to you. There's nothing. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know, those are some of the most encouraging words. That even though you're going through difficulty and God allows you to be tempted because he allows Satan, the tempter, to do that. He is still in control. He is still in charge. And God is faithful. And he will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. That's number one. So just think this. There's a difference, though, between making a whole lot of bad choices and therefore you have all the ramifications of the bad choice. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a child of God trying to do what's right. Okay? The temptations that come their way, the trials that come their way, it will not be greater than they are able to bear. And God is faithful also in this. With the temptation will also make a way of escape that you are able to bear it. Now listen, folks. It says God is faithful in this. We either believe that or we don't. We either accept that or we don't. We either say, I accept that and I put all of my trust in the Lord's strength, or you don't. You don't have to lose the individual war. You don't have to lose the individual battles. We don't have to lose. And by the way, the resource that we're talking about, the strength that comes from God, is available even when we are at our weakest. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, you remember when that was said, right? Paul was given a view into the third heaven. And the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, the Bible says, to buffet him. I like what the Bible says. It says, Paul said, I pleaded three times with the Lord to take it away. Three times. It wasn't just he asked him. He pled with him. He pleaded three times. Take it away. You know what the Lord said? This is what he said. No, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, that's the Lord's strength, is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul said, when I am weak personally, then I am strong spiritually because I got that strength from the Lord. Listen, folks, you know what I got out of that? I'm getting out of that. It's no excuse to say you're weak. Because the strength is accessible when you're weak. In fact, even when you are at your weakest. That's what Paul said. Paul was pretty weak, wasn't he? Oh, no. The Lord said, my strength, that's the Lord's strength, is made perfect in, made complete in your weakness. Don't have to be weak. And by the way, being weak is not an excuse to justify sinful behavior. 
No longer can we do that. We can't do that. You can't justify sinful or bad behavior because, well, I just write it off. I'm just weak. It's not an excuse. Remember this. When you're weak personally, we have the strength of God to have and have that great resource in our life. Okay, so the first thing we have to do is prepare. Got to prepare for this battle. How do you do that, though? How do you do that as we sum up? Number one, you got to be strong in the Lord. The strength comes from the Lord. The strength is not you. That's number one. Second way we prepare. Remember that the one that is in you is greater than the enemy. Got to remember that too. By the way, if you do these two, you're on the way. You're really on the way. Changing the way you think. Thirdly, remember that you are a partaker with Jesus. As Jesus defeated the devil at the cross, we are partakers of that victory in Christ. Remember that too. Got to do this, though. Take heed lest we fall. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It can happen to anybody. And finally, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's how we prepare. That's right? how we prepare our mind. But number two, we got to do this, too. And by the way, these next two points will be brief. But the next point is we got to put the armor on. In Ephesians 6 and verse 11. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. The armor defends us against the devil. And I'll just tell you this. In the original, the language is this way grammatically. When it says, put on the whole armor, it literally means put it on and never take it off. In other words, it's a once and for all, put it on, that's for the rest of my life, I'm never taking it off. Are you struggling? I don't know how it is with you. Are you struggling with sin? Are you struggling spiritually? Young person, old person, in-between person? You struggling? Maybe you're struggling because you took the armor off. You have to keep it on. And when all the things that happen in life and all the temptations come your way, you can beat the devil, but you got to keep the armor on. Can't take it off. It's a once and for all time. It is a preemptive strike against the devil. All right, what is it? What is it? What is the whole armor of God? What are you actually putting on? Here it is right here. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's number one. Having girded your waist with truth. Number two, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Number three, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Number four, above all, take the shield of faith, which, is, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Also, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You got to put the armor of God on and you got to keep it on. How do I know that's exactly what the Lord was talking about? In winning the Christian life, what Paul was talking about? Get the armor on, get your life right, and all of that. How do I know that? Because these are the things that we must do in order to make it. I was talking to somebody recently, and I really believe this. How bad 
The Lord wants me to make it. How bad God wants you to make it. If we fail, it's our fault. Everything has been set up for us to make it. It is the greatest thing of all. And even though we're going to have challenges and trials come our way, and the devil who is alive and well is taking his best shot at us, he won't win if we do what the Word of God says. He wants us to make it. Paul said you got to put on the armor of God. Now, that brings us to the third point, and that is the enemy. We're going to look at that verse again in Ephesians 6 and 11. This is why you put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, wiles means cunning craftiness and all of that. And we know that Satan's going to attack. A few years ago, I remember Terry preached a sermon about, about Satan. And he mentioned how he's a, a, a lion. He's a roaring lion walking about seeking those who he would devour. In fact, I think on the PowerPoint, he had a picture of a lion, I believe, on there. I think that was you. Anyway, preaching that sermon. Have you ever stopped to consider you don't have to go look for the devil? The devil will find you. You don't have to look for the devil. The devil is going to find you. And by the way, nowhere in the word of God does it say attack the devil. I saw something on TV not long ago. There was a preacher up there on, on stage and he was praying and he was rebuking the, de the devil, rebuking the demons, and he was doing all this stuff. And I thought, you know, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say attack the devil. The Bible says resist the devil. That's what it says. You don't have to go out looking for the devil. The devil will find you. That's what he does. But you are in control. You're in control. We're to resist and he will flee. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word flee, you know what that word is? It's the Greek word fugo. And that word actually is translated as fleeing or running. And we get another English word that comes from fugo. And it's the word fugitive. Right? Somebody's a fugitive from the law. What are you doing? You are running from the law. That's why the Bible says, flee also youthful lust. You flee from it. You run from it. That's what you do with the devil. Don't mess around with the devil. Run from him. Flee from him. Resist him. And the Bible says, he will flee from you. Now, I know it's not a very popular idea and concept. I get that. Okay? I get it. Why do we got to talk about the devil? Why can't we just talk about Jesus? Why can't we just talk about things that make us feel good? Why, why is that? Why do we got to mention the devil? Why do we even have to mention hell? Why do that? First of all, let me just say this. If you're going to get in a battle, you better understand who the opponent is. And you also have to understand that the enemy is the opponent, and the enemy is the devil, and the enemy wants your soul. Got to understand that. So you have to understand who that enemy is. It's. I saw a deal not long ago, and somebody was getting up, and they were debating whether or not there actually was a devil. Okay? 
And one guy said, no, there's no such thing as a devil. The devil really is a Halloween costume in red with horns on the head, with a pitchfork in the hand, and an arrow at the end of the tail. Is that the devil? That's not what the Bible says. In Isaiah chapter 14, I don't have time to go there, but verses 12 through 15, it deals with the angelic being of the devil. His name is Lucifer. He's real. And Lucifer was thrown out of heaven. And Revelation chapter 12 says, like a great dragon, he fell with his tail and swept a third of the angels with him. He's real. Lucifer was a fallen angel. And he took a third of the host of heaven with him. Listen to this. This real being called the devil, he's got some titles. Let me tell you what they are. In John 16, he's called the prince of this world. In Ephesians chapter 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's called the god of this age. In Luke 11 and 15, he's called the prince of demons. 52 times he's called Satan, which means adversary. This is the most common title too. 35 times he's called the devil, Diablos, which means slanderer. He's called the old serpent, the great dragon, the roaring lion, the evil one. He's called the tempter, the accuser. He is also referred to as the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. Remember, Satan is the enemy. He teaches a lifestyle that condemns. He tempts us to fall back on self-reliance. He tempts us to doubt. He has us filled with lies and immorality to worldliness and pride and discouragement. And you know what's amazing is when Paul said in our introductory text, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, he said, but we wrestle with principalities and powers. And by the way, they are, we don't have time to go in that, those are demonic angels, a hierarchy of angels that are under Satan. But that's a subject for another day. But think about it this way. When Paul said wrestle, what do you think about when you say, see wrestle? I see two boys on the mat with those ridiculous jumpsuits on and they wrestle for sport. And one wins when he pins the other's shoulders down, right? When you pin the shoulders down for three counts, you win. But at the time of this writing in the Roman world, that was not wrestling. And I think we need to understand the seriousness of what he was referring to so we understand exactly how serious our fight is too. What they would do, these gladiators, these combatants, they would come together on the battle floor. They would go in hand-to-hand combat with no weapons. One would finally get the other one down. That was the goal. He would wrap both hands around his neck and squeeze his throat if he could hold him down for a period of time, not only his shoulders, but his head. He was killed. He was executed. But if the guy resisted and his shoulders were pinned, but he was able to keep his head up, 
He lived to fight another day. That's what we're doing. We are living to fight another day. We're wrestling with all that, folks. And it's life or death, spiritual life and spiritual death. And as we do that, we have to remember we got to prepare ourselves. How you do that? Be a faithful Christian whose strength is in the Lord. What else? Put on the armor of God. Leave it on, verses 14 to 17. What else? Understand who the enemy is. That's Satan. And he has this, all of his influences and resist him. And I'm going to leave you with one passage found in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. We know that. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What's that day? What's that day? Yeah. That day is right now while you're living. That's right. It's right now. So put on the armor of God and leave it on and you'll be able to withstand the wiles of the devil right now. And for the rest of your life. He can't win if you don't let him. He can't win if you don't let him. What are we going to do? He's going to flee from us. Why? Not because of our strength, but because God's in control if we do our part. So prepare yourself. Put on the armor of God and resist the enemy in your life. And you know what? You can make it to the end and you can go to heaven and the devil doesn't have to pull you away. Doesn't have to. And like I said in the book of Revelation, in the end, we win. And what a grand reunion ever fathomed that will be on that day when we make it. You can make it. I talked about in the introduction the things that are blessings for the Christian. But there's no blessings outside of Christ. So we want to extend an invitation now to someone that perhaps might be in this audience today and you're not a child of God. You heard me mention several times about being in the Lord and being in Christ. The way that you are in Christ is when you are baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. The steps to become a child of God are very simple. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus said you got a choice. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's not just simple belief. That's the belief having the force to obey. In other words, I believe it so much, I'm going to obey what the Lord told me to do. In Luke 13 and 3, Jesus said, I tell you no, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. He said in Matthew 10, 32, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. And that confession is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Upon taking those steps, you are a fit candidate to go to the point of your salvation. And that happens in the waters of baptism. It saves us. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure where to even baptism doth also now save us. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at 
churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.